Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So today, I want to share with you a message which I believe will, uh, will coincide with the, the event that we are about to celebrate in a few days. We're going to be celebrating our Passover, or as we call it uh, nowadays, Easter. But the correct word actually is Passover. And um, seeing that, Uh, we will be entering into the Holy Week, I decided to bring a message which I believe will bless us, even though you might have heard it before, uh, that will also prepare our hearts uh, to embrace uh, this most significant Christian event. So the title of my message today is called The Power and the Mystery of the Cross the power and the mystery of the cross. And laying a foundation, I'm going to read two verses of Scripture, or rather two portions of Scripture. One from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, from the New King James Version, and also from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, from the New Living Translation. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we, we see from this verse of Scripture that we just read that the message of the cross to those who are being saved or saved, it is the power of God. And 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8 says, The wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. Now, The definition of the word mystery is any truth which is unknowable except by divine revelation. It is a divine secret that we cannot see into it or through it unless the Holy Spirit gives us understanding and revelation. That's the word mystery. I say that because the death of Christ was a mystery to those who looked on and they could not understand it in that day why Christ had to die. They couldn't see through it. They couldn't understand it. Even though Jesus took pains and explained to the disciples that he was to die, he was to be buried, and the third day he would rise again, they still could not see through what was going on. Well, today, as we look back thousands of years, we understand 
that it was his death that brought us life. Amen? It was the death of Christ that opened the door that was shut for generations and generations. But his death opened that door and released into our world the law of the spirit of life, giving life to all mankind as a gift if they would only believe in his name. Or you could say that the gift of God is the gift of immortality to all those who believe. That's a wonderful thought, folks, that ought to cause us to rejoice with gladness and a thankful heart because we who have believed in Christ, the word says, we will never die. Yes, there will come a time when our body will die, when we put our flesh, our body in the ground, but your spirit man will continue to live in the presence of the Lord. Paul said it so beautifully when he said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Isn't that a glorious thought? To know that you will live forever in the presence of God, in the presence of our Savior, who he has given his life in order to redeem us and to give us the gift of immortality. Scripture says in John chapter 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Eternal life or divine life, resurrection life, came out of the death of Christ. His humiliation and his death was a great mystery which the Word of God says was hidden in the mind of God long before the world began. You see, before there was a problem, God already had the solution. Isn't that like God? Amen. Praise God. He knew what was to take place. He knew that Adam would sin. He would rebel against him. He knew that would happen. And because he knew, God knows and he sees the future, the beginning from the end. He put in motion a plan to redeem mankind. And the cross of Christ was the hidden plan in the mind of God. The word of God says no one could see through it. The devil and his cohorts rejoiced on that day because they thought they had defeated Christ. Even the disciples, they lost all hope because they thought that his death brought an end to everything they believed and everything they stood for. Their dreams were shattered. Their faith was severely shaken. And the life they knew with Jesus came to an abrupt end. How wrong they were. Because they couldn't understand the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, the, the devil, if the devil knew what he was doing by crucifying Christ, he would not have done it. Because his death, the death of Christ, dismantled his kingdom and brought his rule to an end. Praise God forevermore. Now, this divine mystery, this secret plan of God, 
was hidden in one of the foundational principles of the kingdom of God. The principle of the seed. Or we could say the principle of sowing and reaping. That's what God used in order to bring many sons into glory. Jesus said in John 12 verse 23, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hating your life means that you love God so much more than your own self that in the light of God's love, your love for self is, 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 is minimal. In other words, when Jesus said hate his life, meaning that you surrender your life to the cross, you lay down your life in order for the life of Christ to flow through us. Well, this, this hidden mystery, the principle of the seed of sowing and reaping, we need to know, and we do know today, that the destination of every seed, regardless of its kind, is death. And the purpose of every seed is reproduction. I mean, that's what the purpose of every seed is. Jesus, the Son of the living God, according to the Scriptures, was the grain of wheat that willingly fell into the ground and died so that through his death, God could bring forth many sons into life. You and I are the result, are, the, are part of that great harvest of souls that God the Father received through the death and resurrection of Christ. You see, here is the principle. No one can bear godly fruit or reproduce after his kind unless they are willing to go through the death of the cross. That is a principle or a law in the kingdom of God. And I do believe that the only reason Christians fail to produce godly fruit and they fail to fulfill the God-given destiny is because they refuse to embrace the cross of Christ and die to self. That's the only reason. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it again. You see, the Word of God says that multitudes followed Jesus, but they followed him for the wrong reasons. Most of them followed him for what they can get out of him. They followed him because they needed healing. They followed him because they were hungry. They followed him because they were suffering. They wanted deliverance. And it's a good reason to come to Jesus. But once you've been delivered, then I believe God expects us to change our attitude and our mindset. 
And the huge crowds followed Jesus. And Jesus turned around and said, you want to come after me? Well, this is the condition. If you want to be my disciple, the first thing you need to do is to deny yourself and you take up the cross and follow me. And I don't believe as, as preachers of the gospel we are emphasizing this enough. We promise young converts come to Christ and you will receive peace beyond understanding. You will be blessed. You will receive this and this and this and God will bless you. That's all true, but that's not the whole truth. We should also be saying, come to Christ and lose your life. Amen. Come to Christ and lose your dreams so that he can give you his dreams for your life. There is a price to pay. There is a cost to follow Christ. Otherwise, what we're doing is just we're playing church and religious games. No seed can fulfill its divine purpose, the purpose of God, without falling into the ground and dying. And the purpose of every single life, including yours and mine, is to reproduce after our kind. Are you with me? In other words, if we take up the cross and follow Jesus, the very example, the very life of faith that we live will attract others to God. Our faith will bring salvation to others. And we will reproduce after our kind, multiply. The faith that we have received, multiply it through other people who come to Christ and believe. As you can see that death is the pathway that is to be walked by every life that is destined to glorify God. Therefore, our view of the cross and dying to self needs to completely change if we are to embrace it and not run away from it. And for many years I ran away from the cross until the age of 23. I ran. I was rebellious. I was rebellious to my parents, doing my own thing, running my own life, making my own decisions, until one day the fruit and the harvest of that rebellion brought great pain and loneliness and suffering in my life. Well, praise God for the grace of God that reached out to me. Speaking of Jesus, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame and the humiliation and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the only way for us to endure the suffering of the cross or dying to self or crucifying the flesh, call it whatever you will, we need to look beyond the suffering. Jesus looked beyond his death. He looked beyond the grave. He looked beyond the cross. And what did he see? He saw the harvest. He saw you and I. And in that vision, he rejoiced. And he was able to endure the suffering of the cross and the humiliation that he was put through. We asked the question, why do we naturally run away from the cross? Why do we run from dying to self? I believe the main reason is because of fear. 
fear of the unknown, fear of letting go of our own lives, of, of, of releasing control, if I could put it that way, of our own destiny and our own lives. And this fear is rooted in the love of self, wanting to hold on. Anything you hold on and you squeeze it and not let it go, you, you must understand it will eventually die. That's why Jesus said, he who would save his life, he will lose it. How do we conquer this fear? Fear of the unknown through knowledge, through revelation knowledge, divine knowledge, call it whatever you will. When you know what awaits you beyond the cross on the other side, you are no longer afraid. When with the eyes of faith you see the harvest or the reward that awaits you, you are able to endure and you're able to conquer this fear. Willingly, we will surrender our will, our opinions, our dreams, our ambitions in exchange for God's will, God's dreams for our life, which is far better, far better than anything you and I could dream of. You see, God's dream is far greater than you can dream or imagine. The plans that he has for you and I are beyond human comprehension or understanding. It takes revelation knowledge of the Spirit to be able to see what God has planned for you and I. Wonderful things. He said in Jeremiah, I know the, th the, the thoughts that I have of you. They are thoughts of peace to give you peace and a future. Not to harm you, but to bless you far beyond your imagination. And that's God's plan for our lives. And we will never step into it. We will never know it. We will never taste it unless we are willing to embrace the cross and die to our own selfishness, our own will, our own ambitions, our own dreams, our own desires. And in that emptiness of self, Christ comes and fills us to overflow with his love and grace and the knowledge of his will for our lives. You know, many Christians say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. Well, the only reason you don't know is because you're still holding on to your will. And you will never know God's will unless you are willing to give up your will. When you give up your will, God will reveal what his will is for your life. And that is the safest place to be, folks. I've mentioned it this morning in my ministry to our local fellowship. The safest place to be, the most productive and blessed place to be, is in the center of the will of God. Amen. When we remain in God's will, we are more than conquerors. We are blessed beyond measure. Yes, we may face opposition because the will of God will bring you face to face with the adversary. You will face enemies, spiritual enemies as well as human enemies. They will come against you. They will criticize you. But if you are in the will of God, he gives us the sufficient grace we need to overcome whatever the enemy throws against us. That's why Isaiah says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Nothing. 
nothing that the devil has 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 done or or throws against us will ever prosper why because we are the righteousness of god and this is our heritage as servants of the lord read isaiah 54 verse 17 right down to the end believe that there's no need to fear if you are in the will of god you have no need to fear but if you're not then know this you're not covered you're not protected you are in danger every moment of every day outside of the will of god because when we are outside of god's will we are giving opportunity to the enemy open doors so that he can come in and do his his destruction are you with me still praise god we need to really digest this lord what is your will for me every day we should get up in the morning and jump out of bed with praise and thanks and say father before we rush off to work before we get into our car and drive away <clears throat> say lord here i am i surrender myself to you afresh today i yield the members of my body to you in obedience to you what is your will for me today is there anything that you ask of me today? Please show it to me. Help me to hear. Help me to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit. And when we do that, God, one way or another, he will get his message across. Amen. When Jesus came face to face with his own death, folks, he said these words in John 12, verse 27. Now... My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I was born, Jesus said, to die. And it is for this purpose that I came to earth. So he would not shrink from the cross. Yes, it was painful. Remember how he prayed in the Garden of Eden? It was a, a, a severe test and temptation. But he overcame. God is glorified when we surrender ourselves to the will of God or to the cross of Christ so that he could freely live his life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle said some profound words that is difficult to understand for natural people. Listen to what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, Death works in us, but life in you. Difficult to understand for a natural mind. But let me say this. You and I were born to die. And through your death, you will give life to others and reproduce after your kind. Paul, again, speaking from his own life and his own experiences, 
in the ministry, in the walk of faith, he said the following in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, and I'm reading from the Passion. He said, my brothers and sisters, I continually face death. The Amplified Translation says, I die daily. I face death every day and die to self. What did he mean every day he died he, he died to self? That means that meant he he no longer lived for himself. That's why he said in another place for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He faced death to self every single day. He didn't live for himself. He lived to serve God and to serve his fellow men. And let me say this, whatever we allow to pass through the cross or whatever we put to the cross will always come out on the other side far better and greater than it ever was. Why? Because another principle in the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 43, it is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. And sure, we will always experience a sense of loss as we go, as we let go of something that is dear and precious to us. Listen, folks, nobody dies with a smile on his face. <laughs> the discipline of the Lord is very painful. But we do so with a sense of knowing that something far better awaits us on the other side. And Jesus said something very profound to the two disciples who were walking on the road to Emmaus, depressed, disappointed, discouraged, disheartened, because they couldn't understand why Christ had to die. It was beyond their understanding. So Jesus said to them in Luke 24, 25, Oh, foolish ones! slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then from there on, he began to expound all of the scriptures. And when they sat down to have a meal, when he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they understood and Jesus vanished immediately. And let me say this, there is no glory without suffering. I want to say that again. There is no glory without suffering. Every person who enters into a state of glorifying God goes through his own path of death and suffering. In my 46 years of walking with the Lord, I have experienced death many times in many different forms both in my own personal life as well as in the life and the growth of my ministry. And thank God the Lord introduced me to the cross very early in my conversion and how I thank God for that. He introduced me to the cross soon after I was born again. And the people he anointed to introduce me to the cross was my father-in-law and my wife. <laughs> Believe me, those of us who are married will identify what I'm, <laughs> what I'm sharing with you. 
Uh, a youngster once asked uh, a mature uh, person, an older person, to define marriage to him. Let me say this. I, I, I'll come back to it. He said, what's marriage like? He said, son, marriage is like potatoes, boiled potatoes. First, you boil them, then you skin them, then you smash them, and you cannot identify individual potatoes. They become one. Well, that's how God makes us one, folks. <laughs> the two shall become one. But I tell you something, before they become one, there's a lot of conflict at times. And marriage will teach you how to die to self if, if you are teachable. And we will have disagreements in our marriage. Conflicts will arise through differences of opinion, differences of preference or perceptions. But when those clashes come, and they will come, if we are humble and open to the Spirit of God, He will teach us how to yield, how to humble ourselves, and how to die to self. My marriage to my wife today stands after 47 years. Next month, on the 18th of May, we celebrate 47 years of marriage. And it stands only by the grace of God through the power of the cross of Christ. This is my testimony. Where the cross is applied, it releases God's sufficient grace. And I testify to that because I have lived and I have experienced it. Years back, and I think I've, I've shared this testimony with you before, but it bears repetition. Back in 1978, after a one of our regular arguments with my young wife, it was so, so intense. I stormed out of the shop that we were managing. I got into my car and I just drove off speedily on an open road. I don't know where I was going. I just wanted to run away. This is what I'm saying to you. We run away from the cross. We run away from dying to self. We run away from yielding, from submitting, from being obedient, from letting go our opinions, our preferences, our dreams. And I just drove off speedily. And I recall as I drove off on that open road, frustrated and angry, I looked up at the clear sky because it was springtime. And I saw a white cross up in the sky and beneath the cross, the Greek words, engudo nika, which means, in this you shall conquer. And the more I thought and meditated on that vision, the more I understood what God was trying to communicate to me through the cross. And when I came back and drove and turned around and came back, the next day I opened my Bible and I put right before in the front pages of my Bible, I wrote these words, You cannot serve God and self. Self must die. 
Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other, or you will be faithful to the one and despise the other. And then he said, you cannot serve God and mammon. But I changed that to, son, you cannot serve yourself and me at the same time. Self must die. Well, I realized that if I wanted my marriage to survive and succeed and bear fruit according to the will of God, I needed to learn how to yield to the cross and die to self. Let go of my selfishness, my pride, my opinions. And the more I did, the more grace I found. Folks, some of us want to win an argument at any cost because we think we're always right. We prefer to lose the relationship rather than lose the argument. And we bow before our opinions, our ideas. That's why I don't argue with people. You want to argue, you can argue all you want. I cannot convince you of anything. I pray and I let God convince you of that. And let me say this. Nearly half of the marriages among Christians today end up in divorce because the individuals, no other reason, the individuals in it are refusing to yield their lives to the cross and die to self. Amen. Hello. Well, if you don't give me what I need, what I deserve, I'm going to go somewhere else and find it. And we use so many excuses why we do, why we run away from where God has planted us. And it's time we change our way of thinking. Amen? Are you still with me? And let me say this. God will discipline every person whom he receives and embraces into his kingdom. Yes, we come as we are. But the Lord is not going to leave us as we are. In fact, he'll never stop working on us until he sees the image of Christ in us. Amen? So God's discipline, regardless through whom it is administered, it is always painful. And the Bible says that it is through discipline that we learn to submit and we learn to obey. That's why when people are hurting, the hearts are more open and more receptive than any other time. It is through our suffering in the flesh that we learn to cease from sin and selfishness. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Praise God. You see, the blood of Jesus deals with our sins, plural. But the cross of Christ deals with the sin nature. The root cause. Amen? Praise God. Are you with me still? So when we embrace the cross, it is, it is dealing a blow to the very nature that reproduces the sin. Praise God. Jesus has given us a new nature. Because when we received Christ, we received his death as well as his resurrection. And when the cross is applied to our lives, 
two things happen. Number one, our ears are open. And number two, our eyes are open. They are open to hear things in the spirit that we could not hear before because rebellion and disobedience had closed our ears and we couldn't hear. But when we embrace the cross in every area of our lives, then our ears are opened and we are able to hear the voice of the Lord. We are able to hear things we never heard before. Our eyes are open and we are able to see beyond the veil of the flesh. We see beyond the natural. And we begin to see things in the spirit that we've never noticed or have seen before. And that's what Isaiah testified. Isaiah, in chapter 6, he was confronted with the cross. And he saw the Lord, he said. And then he testified later in Isaiah chapter 15, verse 5, he says, the Lord, this is his testimony, the Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. Neither did I turn away. He says he didn't run away from the cross. I gave my back to those who struck me. That's what Jesus did. He gave himself to those who tortured him. And then Isaiah says, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. You see, he's also prophesying of the humiliation and the death of Christ. But his ears also opened and his eyes were opened because he embraced the cross. And then he goes on to say, I did not hide my face from shame and spitting for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. And as Isaiah was confronted with his revelation, and he yielded to the redeeming power, his life, his lips were cleansed, as he testifies in chapter 6. He becomes bold against his adversaries, and he finds a confidence and a courage in God which he did not have before. While we are going through it and the power of the cross is administered, believe me, it's very painful to the flesh. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 says. And as I said, no one dies with a smile on his face. It's letting go, releasing control, and trusting God. Back in 1987, I was summoned by the Bishop of Johannesburg to appear before a committee of priests and theologians to give an account of my ministry to the Greek Orthodox people. And I recall that evening, I, I drove down all the way from Masvinga to Johannesburg because I was summoned to that meeting. And I sat in that room, surrounded by a group of priests, theologians, who questioned my authority, my qualifications in regards to preaching the gospel to the Greek folk. And the questions came, one after the other. Who authorized you? Which Bible school did you finish? Which seminary, Orthodox seminary, did you finish? I had none of those. All I knew is that I was saved and I was commanded to go preach the gospel. To cut a long story short, the end result was that I was excommunicated, which they did, from the Orthodox Church, 
and strictly forbidden to preach the gospel to the nation I was sent to. That day was a dark day for me. I drove all the way back home to Masvingo, and for three days I couldn't even pray. From the disappointment, the rejection, and the discouragement I experienced from the decision that was handed to me by the hierarchy of the Orthodox Church. And truly, I felt the pains of death because I couldn't imagine anything else, doing anything else. Preaching was my life. And I felt the pains of death to the call of God and to the commission the Lord had given me. And I still recall the words the Spirit of God spoke to me in my prayer closet on the third day. He showed me a verse of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, or rather, first, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. And this is what it says. Speaking of Christ, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And I recall through this verse of Scripture, as I meditated on it, because I knew God was speaking to me, the Spirit began to breathe life into my inner being as He elaborated on the power and revelation of those words. He began to lift me out of that deep depression and discouragement. And He continued speaking to my heart. And I wrote down those words. I'll never forget them. He said, Son, they crucified and buried you, but I will raise you up through my Spirit and through your ministry. I will proclaim my gospel even to the furthest and darkest corner of your Greek community. And I watched God do that in the years that followed. You know, I share these testimonies and experiences with you for two reasons. One, to bear witness to the scriptures and to show you that if you desire to follow the Lord up close, if you sincerely desire to fulfill God's divine purpose for your life, you will encounter the cross in one form or another. There is no escape from it. If we are not prepared to take up the cross and follow Christ, then all we do is play church while we want to serve God on our own terms without being inconvenienced or having to suffer loss in one form or another. And there are many today, even in the church, many, many, many pastors, many, many congregants. They want to serve God but they want to serve him on their own terms. Lord, I will serve you if you do this. I will serve you if you give me that. And I will serve you if it's convenient, if it's not too much trouble, and if it doesn't cost me too much. But the closer you get to Christ, the bigger the cost. Amen? Are you still out there? Remember what happened to Peter? He followed the Lord from afar the scripture says. 
and he ended up denying the Lord. The only place to be is right in his presence, up close, heart to heart, having an intimate relationship and fellowship with him. And that comes at a price, the price of our flesh. Hallelujah. Shall I go on? We still got time? Shall I share one more testimony with you? Uh, you're not going to say no. I've got you captive now. Once again, back in the 90s, I was called to leave Zimbabwe with my family, move to South Africa, and place on the altar of sacrifice our business, my ministry to the Greeks in Zimbabwe, our relationships in that country, as well as our financial security who came through our enterprise. Believe me, when I first heard the call, I wept. Mostly because I was leaving people behind that I loved dearly. We built strong relationships in that Greek community that we were part of. And my heart was filled with sorrow and many times anxiety, not knowing what the future holds. And I knew, once again, it was time to die to all that I knew, all that I've experienced in Zimbabwe, a country which I loved, I still do. And I sensed a sense of loss and emotional pain. But you know what? I didn't know what awaited me on the other side. I thought we're going to end up close to my in-laws that were living in Johannesburg. Glory to God. He brought us into a city that is far, that was far beyond my wildest dreams and expectations. He brought us into the city of Cape Town. Again and again, this ministry went through death and resurrection. But every time I went through such an experience, I've always emerged from it far stronger than I have ever been with greatest anointing, greater sense of purpose, and greater fruitfulness. And today I look around in this ministry that has gone through death again and again, and I see the glorious and the wonderful work of God. God has birthed you, sons and daughters, spiritual children all over the world, who are leaders both in the church and in the marketplace. And they are bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And let me say this in conclusion. No ministry can enjoy longevity, embrace succession, or bear fruit of any kind without going through the process of sanctification and death. And so I want us to, if you're really serious with God, as we approach this Holy Week and the cross of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, I want you to pray this prayer loud, out loud with me. If you are sincere, that you want to get closer to the Lord, that you want to experience the power of His resurrection in your life, to see the glory of God, the power of God, answers to prayer, whatever, or see fruitfulness in your life, then this is the prayer to pray. 
Shall we pray it? Lord Jesus, in exchange of your life, I give up my own. And I lay it willingly on the altar of your cross. I want to say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. I desire to know you, Lord Jesus, intimately. I desire to know and experience the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your sufferings being made conformed to your death. And in closing, I say this. I firmly believe that as ministers of the gospel, we are to emphasize more often the message and the power of the cross of Christ because it is the only power that will put to death, that will put an end to a life of sin and compromise. When the Apostle Peter faced his crucifixion from his adversaries, from his persecutors, persecutors, he cried out with these words, and he said, O cross, most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirously, I come to you, being the scholar of him which did hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearned to embrace you. And those were his last words as he was crucified upside down that day. May we embrace the cross fully in every area of our lives. It will put to death sin habits, attitudes that are not of God, as the power of the death of Christ flows through our mortal body so that his resurrection life can overflow and touch others and give them life. Folks, please prepare your hearts this week. Next week is, uh, we celebrate, as I said, the, uh, the most important Christian event in our calendar. We will receive communion on that Sunday as well. So, Stay safe, seek the face of God, make sure you are in the will of God, and walk in the light that you have received so far. If you want more light, you have to be faithful in the light that you have received. And the Apostle John said, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.